0: Welcome to Building a Stronger Sunday, where we believe the difference between leaders and dreamers is their ability to execute. This is the podcast dedicated to help you do just that. Our goal is to help you build stronger teams, deliver more helpful content, and lead with more focus. If you're new here, we release a new episode every month. Make sure to like and subscribe. Well, my name is Stephen J. Barker, and I get to be your host today. Nathan will actually be back next month, but today I'm excited to be interviewing a close friend and colleague of mine, Gabe Colstad. Now stick around to the end of the episode, and we're going to share more about an exciting event that's designed to help you keep your Easter momentum. But for now, I want to sit down with you, Gabe, and I want to talk a little about an article you recently wrote. You called it "One Simple Switch to Move Your Church Forward." Now. I know your story because you and I have been working together for some time now. In fact, I probably got back into ministry because of you, uh, but you, you have been at this church for some time. You now are also a consultant with the Unstuck, Unstuck Group, but I'd love for you to share a little more about our church's history.
1: Yeah, I'd love to. It's great to be on this podcast with you, Steve. And uh, our church is, is, I always say, is an old church that's becoming new every day. Hmm. And uh, it's been around for a long time, started in 1967 and went through years of growth and mission and um, impact. And then, as is typical of many churches, experienced that kind of top of the curve and then the, the decline in the plateau, and so um, when I got here, the lead pastor at that time is was Ken Wooten, and had a, just a deep desire to take the church forward, and uh, I was so really privileged to be invited on that journey yeah. and to be able to dig in, and uh, it, was a, it was a really fun season of experimenting. Not a lot of senior lead pastors would have taken such a risky approach, but yeah. we really got a chance to dig in and reinvent in many ways. Uh, So that was a lot of fun and led to, over time, over a lot of time, led Mm -hmm. to impact and growth and renewal and um, really um, uh, what we had hoped for, which was uh, the multiplication. However, that was really the thing that it seemed like was such a hard uh, start, was how do we get out of the mindset of just being one church, one thing, and into that multiplication. And I would say that that
0: really stimulated more impact once that started moving. So you've been uh, an experimenter. I would say that's that's definitely a characteristic of of you. Uh, what what really what problem were you trying to solve in in uh, the church as you kind of went to see other things or meet other people or, or was it? Were things slowing down, or, or not moving as fast as you wanted them to? Or, yeah, I would definitely say that. Uh, you know, we went to all the
1: conferences and you know all the best practices, read all the books, and and those were good things. But the the thing that we kept uh, hitting our head up against is it just seemed like that there was something missing. It seemed like we were kind of hitting a brick wall with growth and health and impact, and you know we wanted to be. A church that had a, a footprint and, a, and an impact beyond just uh, what had happened before and where yeah. we were at. So we yeah. had our vision outpaced our, our uh, impact by a lot, mm-hmm. and that was a really
0: frustrating place to be. Um, yeah. So, in in your article, you mentioned it seems like we have a, a balance problem, and there were two different types of churches that you talked about. Uh, one of them was a church only, and one of them was a city only. Uh, how would you? How would you? Say we could recognize if we are a church-only type of church.
1: Yeah, I would say maybe another way to look at it is it's kind of an internally focused uh, environment. Uh, you know, a lot of times it's about what what decisions are we making. We can evaluate based on is this decision uh, that we're making going to help because it makes us more comfortable, mm-hmm. uh, and, and you know, does it does it is it popular? Does it make us comfortable? Uh, does it? it build what's already existing, and do those resources flow internally. Hmm. Some of those things are, uh, are real big tips. You know, um, one of the things that we also see is if we see other churches as competition, it could be that we're a church-only church, almost as though we're trying to build our own little kingdom um, in our own little community yeah. and very little participation in what's going on outside of our church. If the programs and the events and all those things point
0: inward, it, yeah. it's very possible that we're a church-only church. So if it stings when somebody says, yeah, I'm going to go to the sh- church down the street, yeah, then... That's a great indicator. <laughs> then great it indicator. might be... Now, it's not... Hey, it's, it's never fun. It's never fun. Yeah.
1: But uh, if you see that as an overall kingdom win, then then uh, that's different than if we see it as a, a loss.
0: Yeah. So what are some steps that we can take to have a more balanced approach? In in your article, you mentioned a few of them. Uh, The first one you mentioned was that we should focus on the city, not just the church. Can you unpack that a little? Absolutely.
1: I think um, really uh, for our churches to win overall, over the long haul... Um, it actually has to be about more than the church. It's one of those upside-down principles, I think, of of the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. is that, you know, give and it will be given back to you. So there's this release of uh, focus on the city, not just the church. Um, one of the ideas that we can explore with that is just to find a like-minded leader outside of our churches. And Schedule coffee with them. Get this conversation moving. I mean, it's it is an uncomfortable step to to go. The idea would be I'm going to spend time and energy and resource outside of what builds the core of my church. Um, is that going to take away from? Can I even afford that? You know. Uh, yeah. But thinking outside of my church it gets gets that ball rolling. And just having that one relationship, really, even that can that can become a friendship, that can become a partnership. At some point, hey, maybe we could even do something together, um, so that we're doing something beyond the walls of our own church. What was it
0: like when you first tried to do that?
1: It was frustrating. It, it seemed like there was a desire on our part, but there, almost, in some ways, confusion. Uh, on the part of the other person, or yeah. like, why? Why what's are we? Your motive? Trying, yeah, what's your motive? Why yeah. are we trying to get together? Yeah. And what's the point of this? And so, uh, it took a little. It took some persistence.
0: For Do, sure, was it worth pushing through that persistence? Was oh, it worth, so being worth being per- it? Persistent?
1: So worth. I mean, from where we sit today, we have these networks of rich relationships that are so much fun, yeah. and uh, and and we get to celebrate beyond just what's happening inside our own church, realizing that. If God moves in another church down the
0: street, it's a win and it's so exciting. Yeah, yeah totally worth it. Yeah, in reality, when you think about um, the size of any church to the size of the city that it's in. Oh, yeah. You're, you're such a small percentage of the people that are celebrating together and you, you, you should celebrate with a wider group of people. Yeah. Well, you, you also mentioned uh, the need to draw a bigger circle. What does that mean i think that yeah
1: i think a lot of times when we think of who, who is our ministry target mm-hmm. who's in our ministry area a lot of times and at least we started out with a very very small i mean it was still a lot of people because our community is uh, part Depends. of a metro area yeah. but um it was way smaller than it should have been so our in fact our church name at that time included the actual small community that mm-hmm. we serve uh in and around um, and so we just needed to think about a bigger circle. I love the um, story about the revivalists who would take a piece of chalk, you know, and draw a circle and step in it and say, God, let, you know, start a revival and, and let, it, let it start with me inside the circle. So, what's that circle like that we want God to move in? Um, and what we did is we actually changed the name of our church to reflect that we were widening our ministry area. But yeah. one really stretching thing is to go, what, how many people are currently inside what we define as our ministry target area? And how could we triple that? Because that just changes us to think differently yeah. about uh, when we... Uh, send a newsletter out, or when whatever we call something, or you know who are who's in that circle, and are we are we talking to those people? Yeah. So it just really changes the mindset if we draw a bigger circle, bigger ministry. Influences
0: area. the answer to the questions they ask every week, right? Yeah. What Absolutely. Do we, what do we call things? How how much do we spend when we send out a yeah a advertisement or something like that? Yeah. Uh, the third thing you mentioned was find a community partner. What, is, what did that look like for you on this journey? Uh, for us, it really—first um, of
1: all, it was intimidating because we had to come to the conclusion that we had something worth offering to the community. Mm. And that's a self-esteem issue, and churches have self-esteems, and most churches' self-esteems are too low. Uh, because we, you know, it's almost like, oh, I don't want to ask somebody to come to church here. Or I don't want to ask somebody to serve at my church. Or I, you know, it's like we're we're intimidated, but I think we had to say... It's because we we're we beat get, up. <laughs> maybe so, yeah. But we wanted to get beyond that and say, like, let's contribute to what's going on in the overall community. Very intimidating, because you don't know how to start that conversation sometimes. Eventually, what we decided to do was just start with local public schools and we started really small with kind of those one-time let's serve let's let's do let's spread some bark dust you know at yeah. a school it's yeah. a welcome thing most schools are willing to have help with that kind of thing but we all we learned along the way that um, that is an entry level kind of partnership and now we have uh, partnerships with six or seven local public schools it's really exciting to have that and yeah. and and at this point it's shifted to, Um, we're no longer going to them asking what we can do. They're coming to us asking, um, how we can partner. That's a really fun scenario. And, um, matter of fact, I get a chance to sit down with a a principal of one of our local public schools tomorrow. And, And so just really fun, um, opportunity, but we were just looking for how do we, that we've done that also with, um, organizations that help serve food to the hungry, um, help serve the homeless. I mean, there's so many different ways, but we've really decided our primary for us, our Mm -hmm. primary is local schools. And because you can find every, every possible
0: demographic and need in the local school that really connects you to the community. And, and that has been such a a fun thing to be a part of and to be in those relationships and even to have the leaders of those organizations be excited when you walk in the door, right? Like not, not like, Oh, what are you coming to ask for? Or, yeah, but just being in a, in a partnership, and, and a that deal. part's tricky is that what we have to do is we have to have a no strings
1: attached approach mm-hmm. to that connecting opportunity, realizing that this is that more silent witness that we have where we're saying, Look, we're, we're going to show love and shine light, and we don't have any expectations of what you're going to do in return. It's yeah. not about what we get out of this, it's, it's about what we give here, yeah. and that demonstrates Jesus's
0: love, and we leave it at that. But I know that it's allowed me to have a, a relationship with, like a friendship with, the, the principals mm-hmm. of these uh, schools, where I've had the chance to just pull them aside and pray with them over something that was going on, and it, things that I would have never expected the first time that we walked into those the, those offices For sure. and said and said hi. Some great surprises. So it seems like uh, if if we are in this kind of church only. Um, side of the equation, that that broadening that circle and building relationships is the thing that keeps pulling us out. It's not necessarily just an initiative. It's, it's relationships outside of the church right. that are pulling us out. So that's not the only type of church that you talked about in your article, though. Uh, you also talked about the city-only church. What's that?
1: You know, a city-only church is... Uh is sort of the flip side, you know. If the if the church only church it is has kind of the me syndrome, uh, where we're internally focused, um, we're not real moved when we see a need. It's like, eh, somebody else can probably meet that need, and we we have this kind of uh, overinflated sense of what we need to do for ourselves. That's the uh, the opposite side. Of the the city only church is more like we're stretched so thin. We have this martyr syndrome that Mm. like, oh man, we're just giving everything away and we just never have enough resources to go around. And we, because of that, we lack capacity. Um, You know, when, when an expense comes in, we can't cover it because we've already distributed so much. Uh, We've, we've saturated our volunteer base. So uh, when we ask for things, it's like, oh my goodness, we're so busy. We're so tired. Um, and just overextended. That's really, uh, that's really a picture of that opposite side of the coin there. So really almost exclusively facing outward. Yeah. I would say so, so outwardly focused
0: that we forgot we need to have a home base. Okay. So what are some steps that we can take, uh, that help us to come back kind of towards that balance, that middle approach you mentioned, uh, in your article, the first one you mentioned was focus on the church, not just the city. Uh, Could you unpack that a little bit?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, I think it's not unlike the, uh, old airplane illustration about, you know, that plane starts going down and the oxygen masks drop. Um, we got to make sure that we have oxygen masks on ourselves before we can help anybody else. And I think that the same thing goes with the church is we have to go like, we need to be healthy. Um, along with being externally focused and really the health does have to come first and so what is the basic health of our church how do we even know i think one of the things that we had to wrestle with is i think you know sometimes we go like well uh how's your church going well it's good it's the spirit is good in our church or you know it seems like it's a really loving you know we have these vague answers for how's it going but but it's a little bit scarier to go like yeah but but what are the numbers saying because numbers don't lie in that sense and i know that there's some some controversy around that like that if the church is really spiritual should we measure it i would definitely argue we have no idea how spiritual it is if we don't measure it mm-hmm. and you can't manage what you can't measure and and so that's probably for us been one of the best things that we've done is just gone let's Figure out what we should be measuring, and let's measure it regularly so that we can kind of take the temperature of our church, or at least have a dashboard that says, "Here's, hey, the engine's overheating, or whatever's going on." And so, finding those health metrics for us has been absolutely critical. Um, learned a lot of that from Tony Morgan and the Unstuck Group, and he's got a fantastic, uh, some free, fantastic tools that are available. And uh, I would really encourage uh, everybody to take that church health assessment. Uh, on the unstuck groups website, and uh, and just kind of get really familiar with uh, how is it actually going.
0: So, do you think that people uh, are uh, uh, that as pastors, we get scared of those those metrics because we don't want to be driven just by numbers, or is it what What do you think is the thing that I think there's some of that. We 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 would never want to be mixed in with um, this
1: utilitarian. Um, you know, only the numbers matter. People are now just a number, you know, that obviously nobody wants to have that kind of ministry. No. Um, but the other piece I think is really kind of behind some of that fear is that we don't want necessarily always the accountability of going like, oh, now I know what I have to go to work on and it's hard. And I knew it was going to be hard. Yeah. It's a lot of
0: hard work. So the, I think there's a little bit of that too in most of us. I've found the hard work is, is around trying to, uh, uh, read those numbers, right? Cause the, it's, they tell a story just like I've used this analogy before, but it's like when you go to the doctor and you say, I've, I've got a fever. Well, that's because something else is happening. You you mentioned the, the check engine light coming on in your car. Well, that doesn't tell you exactly what's going on. It takes work to go, okay, well, what is not working Mm -hmm. and you've got to dive in. And I think that's part of the wrestling that happens when you start to look at some of these things. When you measure, it's not just because that we see, for example, that, um, we don't have as many guests coming over a period of time. Well, that's just highlighting a problem that we don't necessarily have an answer to. we got to dig into, mm-hmm. let's figure out why and what are the variables. and. Oh, and the decision that you have to make in some of those
1: times is because you can't do everything. You end up having to... to- Stop doing something in order to start doing the right thing. That's really the pain point is yeah. where, you know, it's those conversations with people or the, or, or that uh, hard stop of something that we love, you know, or whatever it is. But really difficult to stop doing one thing so we can start doing the right thing. Um, that's that's painful.
0: We also mentioned uh, the, that in order to become, uh, have a more balanced approach that we should create a better growth engine. Uh, what does what does growth engine mean in a church context? <laughs>
1: yeah, that's a good question. I think it has a lot to do with disciple making. That's obviously the if if we could say the church is supposed to do one thing, it's obviously make disciples. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that gets misconstrued by many to mean not evangelism but discipleship. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that discipleship begins. Uh, When somebody's born, (laughs) yeah, you know, and yeah, so so long before somebody is a follower of Jesus, discipleship should be happening and well into uh, people being sent out on mission, discipleship should be happening. So. Uh, But I think that uh, growth engines help drive discipleship. So what is it in our church that does drive discipleship? We have, you know, in our church, one of the things that we dealt with, and this is, you know, common in all this literature about what we're talking about, is we we had a lot of programs, a lot of things that just kept people busy. question was, are they making disciples. That's back to the metrics um, where we can measure that stuff. Once we find what does drive growth, then we need to be able to create a better growth and pour into it. But one of the things along the way is to go, well, how are disciples made? And uh, that move study by the Willow Creek Association, I I think still is some of the best work on discipleship in the last number of decades, where it really helps us to see how people do uh, grow in their relationship with Jesus. So I think uh, having an intentional strategy, an intentional pathway for helping people co- become disciples, um, is is just key to that. And that's the kind of stuff that sometimes, if we're so city focused, we're we're not thinking about that. We're mm-hmm. thinking about yeah, but we got to be solve out there. And, yeah, we got to solve a problem. We got to be out there in the community and all that. And you know, we, we might see the work of this internal work as selfish. Uh, nothing could be further from the truth. If we have Strong discipleship happening in our church, and as long as we have
0: a balance, mm-hmm. uh, we will be hitting that target of that that church that is strong at home and strong in the city. Don't you think that we've found in that in, in learning and studying this idea of growth and and really looking at that that move study, that uh, you have to have that balanced approach because if you're if you're just helping people at the beginning of their journey uh, uh, in understanding who Jesus is and beginning a relationship with him. Uh, As you, as you move through into maturity in your relationship, there has to be an outlet for it. Yeah. Right. And, and people have to have to have that ability to go out and serve their, their city but you're raising them up and, and, and increasing their capacity to do mm-hmm. that,
1: right? Well, and frankly, let's be honest, that's the hardest work we've done so far, is um, there's a lot of material out there about what to do when somebody makes a first time decision mm-hmm. for Jesus. There's tons of material about what, what is baptism and how do we help those. There's very little out there about what, what happens once somebody is spiritually mature and wants to learn how they're supposed to go on mission and multiply. Yeah. That's, That's a really difficult it is. And, and so it's been for us some of the hardest work we've done. Also, I would say some of the most rewarding.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I got to sit and listen to somebody uh, share their testimony at a, a service a while back. And I was just beaming that I got to be a part of that part of their story mm-hmm. where they went from really going through this process themselves from being internally focused to go, whoa, wait. I've got something to offer. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the third thing that you mentioned was uh, building a leadership pipeline. Now, I know we talk of it. It seems like the church world is talking about uh, this a lot, but you're saying that this is important, and if you're really only focused outward, this is a, a move that you can make to help you uh, balance your approach internally.
1: Yeah, I think if we don't have this, what we end up with is leaders at the top that are absolutely burned out because they feel like, and I'm saying this from experience, we feel like, uh, I know we're supposed to have strong discipleship at, in our church, and I know we're supposed to be externally focused and reaching out to the city, and yet if it's on my shoulders, it's just more than one person can bear, mm-hmm. and, and so you're spinning so many plates and all these, all these meetings and, you know, appear here, do this, state, don't forget about this. Hey, you know, check yeah. the temperature. And there's just like all of those things. So I think that the pipeline is the sustainability piece for a balanced church, I believe, where we're saying, uh, you know, it's almost like the answer to the question, if we create a great growth engine and somebody's kind of on that, let's call it a leadership farm team. Yeah. Um, one day we wake up and we go, uh-oh, what are we going to do with these people? And if we haven't thought through their next steps as leaders. Now, uh, one of the clarifications that we've stumbled across at our church is that we realize not every Christian is called to be a leader. Mm -hmm. So discipleship and leadership are two separate processes. Leadership is a gift, technically, not given to everyone. And so I think we have to be comfortable with that and and realize that not everybody has ambitions in leadership. And so that needs to be a separate process where we say we got this growth engine of discipleship, but we also have this leadership pipeline. And obviously it's going to dip down into that pool of disciples. And is gonna, and those who are called and who feel, you know, ready and willing are gonna step onto that pipeline for leadership. Um, but that's where it gets so exciting, and I think it it creates a major role shift for the leaders at the top to start giving ministry away, yeah. Um, which then feeds right back into that external focus because if we can point some of those leaders uh, out to their mission beyond the walls of the church, it really solves that long term sustainability problem of of having strength inside
0: and strength strength outside. outside. Uh, I know there's a lot of resources out there around this idea, but what, which one would you point to as being the most helpful for you in this, this journey?
1: I think, uh, the book exponential to me is one of the best books by Dave and John, J O N Ferguson. Um, those guys at community Christian, uh, with what they've done with exponential has just been fantastic and, and so fundamental, um, thinking through just the idea of a pipeline. I mean, when you read that book, you see this little drawing and it, and it just makes it so clear. Oh, gosh, yeah, it's not it's not rocket science, but we need to clarify how people keep growing. And then almost like the discipleship pathway would look is okay, but what does somebody do to move from this level of leadership to the next one? So definitely would encourage everyone to read
0: Exponential. It's funny. You can feel like you have clarity in your own brain, mm-hmm. but it's not until you see it drawn out that you're like, oh, actually, that's way clearer than what was in yeah. my brain. <laughs> Well, this is great stuff, and we're gonna—I'm definitely gonna put a, uh, a link to the full article on the website. Uh, now, at the beginning of the episode, uh, we said that we'd share some news about an upcoming event that was designed to help you maintain your Easter momentum. Uh, it's actually called the Northwest Church Health and Growth Accelerator. It's happening on March. Fourth, uh, and both Stronger Sundays and Multiply May Fourth, P- May Fourth. Oh yeah, May Fourth, May the Fourth, May Fourth. Because March Fourth would already happen. Yes, May Fourth, uh, both Stronger Sundays and uh, Multiply PDX uh, organization that Gabe is with will be putting on this event.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a blast. We couldn't think of a longer name for it, so that's why we called it the Northwest Church Health and Growth Accelerator. I have to slow down every time I we I do. <laughs> uh, but Tony Morgan, actually from the Unstuck Group, is going to be joining us live to uh, teach one of the sessions via video. He's going to help us unpack the issues of health and growth and our way forward in this conversation. Um, it, the cost for the event is fifty nine dollars. It includes a lunch, it includes the materials, and a copy of Tony's book, The Unstuck Church. So Super valuable time. We really hope that those of you who are in the Pacific Northwest will join us for this event.
0: And you can find more information about this event on StrongerSundays.com or on Gabe's personal blog, uh, Gabe Kolstad, that's K-O-L-S-T-A-D.com. Now, if you found this episode helpful, make sure you subscribe and you can take that a step further and help other leaders find this podcast by rating and reviewing this podcast on iTunes. Until next time, go out there and build a Stronger Sunday.